0: Welcome to the Commonwealth Cocktail Project. Hi everybody, welcome. I'm here with Georgia Bardsley, the director of Bardsley England. She's also the director of a brand new brand they've come out with called True British Spirit. They produce two awesome products, two liqueurs, a plum liqueur and an apricot liqueur. Hey Georgia, how are you doing?
1: Good, thank (laughs) you. How are you?
0: I'm good, I'm good. Just doing the quarantine thing. (laughs) Yeah, so I wanted to talk to you today about True British Spirit, how it came about, what you've experienced with it and how it's growing. And I guess we'll just start off with, you know, what was the impetus behind True British Spirit?
1: Um, I mean, we obviously our core business, Budsley England, we're growing our own fruit. We're, we're now one of the largest growers of top fruit in the country. And through the um, packing, storing, processing, distribution of all the fruit in the main business, we were seeing kind of tons upon tons of second class fruit, either going to waste or going to third party companies to make various different products. And we kind of thought, hang on, there's, there's really something we can do in this area, in this field. So we always knew we wanted to kind of make something really fun, but didn't really know what it was and and didn't really know how to enter into that field. So we thought, well, we'll start by making fruit juices. We were supplying people like Capella and Magnus, kind of cider companies and juice companies. And then we thought, hang on, yeah, let's let's make our own juices. Let's see what we can do with this. We've got full traceability on all of the fruit that we're growing. So we see it kind of coming off the trees in the orchards, and then we see it going through our packing Facility, and then um, we can see it going into our juice bottles and into the juice products. So there was full kind of integrity of the full supply chain on it. So we kind of dipped our toe in the water doing that, knowing that hopefully it would lead on to a more exciting product. But we just didn't know kind of how to, uh, kind of what we wanted to do and how to get into it. We didn't want to be kind of just another gin brand or just another vodka brand or something like that. So it kind of took about three years to, to really develop and research the the final product we wanted to do we then wanted we then kind of looked into right we'll do something with stone fruit the apricots that we were growing there aren't many uk growers um growing apricots so we thought hang on this is really exciting let's do something there it's a bit different and also we have our plums as well in our stone fruit mix to go with that so there isn't a huge market for second-class apricots and plums. Obviously, they, they ripen very quickly, so you've got to get to work on them really, really quickly. So, yeah, so it, it was kind of an ever-evolving story where we were kind of like, let's give it a try, let's do this, let's do that. And then just in the pure process of making a an eau de vie, essentially, out of the apricots and the plums, we realised how difficult it was to make, the machinery alone to make it, and to um, actually get through our own fruit was was quite challenging. So yeah, it kind of evolved from there. We we knew we wanted to make something really pure, not adding a base spirit in, but making the alcohol just ourselves, purely from the fruit, nothing added. So it was a really pure, um, thoroughbred product that we ended up with. It was kind of trial and error, but kind of really came out in the wash and really made a beautiful, beautiful spirit.
0: And how much tonnage of waste are we, I I don't know if you guys measured in tonnage, (laughs) but how much tonnage of waste are you able to now... Um, bring back in and repurpose into an actual new product that you, I assume before were maybe recycling into a compost or something like that.
1: So all of our, we try to kind of get all of our second class fruit. Certainly goes out to, you know, everything gets used up. We go out to different companies, so juice companies, like I said, and that and that's predominantly for the for the top fruits, so the apples and the pears. And we use a lot of it in our own juices, but we actually, for the juices we produce currently, we're probably using 30% of our second class crop. And then the rest of that is going out to other manufacturers. Um, in terms of the stone fruit, we used up 100% in the last harvest of our apricots and plums to go into nectar for true British spirit. So we used up everything, so nothing went to waste which was great to see, you know, absolutely everything was, was used. It's, you know, it, it, we got a good yield off the crop last year. So we, we made some good quantities of the spirit itself. But it was, it was kind of really reassuring to see that nothing, you know, a lot of stone fruit would go to waste because it ripens so quickly. So you haven't got a long lead time on it. So starting to transport it kind of far distances is very, very difficult. So, yeah, we used up absolutely everything from harvest.
0: And, and, I mean, that's amazing, right? You went from s- some, I, I don't know how much, obviously, but to zero, right? Zero waste. That's amazing.
1: The first vintage that we made, we used about five tons, which doesn't seem a lot, but on stone fruit, you're not getting the tonnage that you would on top fruit. And then in the second um, harvest, we used about 10 tons
0: oh, of um, apricots
1: and 10 tons of, of plums. But the harvests were very different year to year. So the first vintage that we made um, in 2018 was a very poor harvest. So we actually didn't have a lot of waste crop to play with, and then um, in 2019 we had a really good harvest, so we had a lot more product to play with.
0: And and you and you keep bringing up the uh, the part about the spoilage and how quickly it turns. What what are we talking like distances? Like before, if you were going to do transport the 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 second class, uh, uh, stone mm-hmm. fruit versus now, like where we are we talking, uh, 60 miles versus 60 feet?
1: With, um, it's not really, it's not really distance. So basically from, um, harvesting your stone fruit, you've got, you, you can store it in cold storage. You know, we have DCA storage, so it's all temperature controlled. We can store it for a couple of weeks. Um, and that's kind of to, in order to ship out to supermarkets. So it's coming off the trees. And it 's going through a pack house facility and and then being packaged to go out to supermarkets that 's for all of the first class fruit and we can store it up to about two weeks once it 's come out of storage um, and basically been graded we've probably you've probably then got a window of about another week so we really don 't have a lot of time to play with and and then when you 're kind of starting to transport it to other companies if if we were sending it kind of in transportation to um, other companies you'd have to put it in temperature controlled transport which would be you know it would be costly for one but also you haven't got a long lead time on it before you need to start processing because it is ripening kind of before your eyes particularly in hot summers because we're starting to do this in kind of July August time. It's a temperamental fruit to play around with um, in comparison to just apples and pears.
0: Uh, that's, that's, it's fascinating though that you've gone from uh, some waste some extra transport, to a lot of stuff in-house mm. being produced locally. Are the Is the distillery local? Is it on-premises? Is it local to Bardsley?
1: Yeah, so we get to work on it on the farm itself. So literally once um, everything's gone through the pack house and we're packing the first class fruit to go out to supermarkets and we're left with the second class fruit, the second class fruit gets worked on instantly and we put it through a kind of sieve machine which destones everything and effectively pulps um pulps the fruit and once we've got the um the fruit pulp we start fermenting it to get the the pure alcohol off it and that's all done on site and we keep it on site for about three weeks um whilst it starts fermenting and it needs a lot of care and attention um a lot of (laughs) stirring a lot of i've been known to sing to them as well (laughs) while they're bubbling away Um, just taking care of them keeping an eye on them checking that the fermentation is all going ahead as it should be and then we send it to currently a contract distiller to get everything distilled um, into the pure alcohol and then and then we bring it back bottled and we have it everything is um, hand labeled hand wrapped in beautiful gift presentation gift boxes it's a very labor intensive process
0: Yeah, no, and I, I've seen the uh I've seen the packaging. It's amazing. Um we'll put some pictures up. But yeah, no, it it is truly gorgeous. It's like a work of art in many ways. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh <laughs> when you were going through this process, uh obviously it was Bardsley England. How did it translate into True British Spirit as its own standalone brand and how did the name come about and how, how did that process happen? I know you were saying it was, uh, it was, we don't want to create another gin. We, you know, that's, that's been done. How do we go the extra step?
1: Yeah. So it, you know, there was no kind, it was all kind of chicken and egg, I suppose. It was all a, um, an evolution that happened. Um, you know, we, we'd make five steps in one area and that, but then in a completely different direction we'd make another three steps of the whole evolvement of the product and the name we almost kind of came up with the with the name before we'd really finalized the product because we kind of in a room together just you know getting stuff down on paper of actually what our ethos was and what our goals for the product itself was right we want it to be really pure so we played around with pure or true and we want it to be really iconic you know and we want this. Um so everything, every kind of name that we had almost had um it was like a double entendre in terms of we want the spirit of the alcohol is the is the actual spirit in itself being an alcoholic product, but also the kind of heartbeat through the product being the spirit of it and it being true, the ingredients are so true they've you know, they're um completely pure, they're everything in the product itself is true, there's nothing artificial in it. Um, it hasn't been blended, it hasn't been, you know, made with a with a with with anything that hasn't been grown in the ground on the estate. And then, you know, the fact that it's British, you know, we, our heritage is so British, we're a fifth generation family run farm, we've always been in Kent, and we just wanted to bring all of that symbolism and, you know, making something really iconic and just bringing it all together. And that's kind of how the name evolved, but also how the product itself evolved. So we were very adamant once we were on this journey that therefore we didn't want to blend it with anything. We didn't want to start bringing in a base spirit. We didn't want to start just we just didn't want to blend it with with it with a pharmaceutical spirit or with a vodka or with a gin and just adding some fruit essence. We actually wanted to make everything purely itself um, purely from the fruit that we'd grown. So yeah, it was just a journey.
0: Yeah, no, no. I've I'm I'm very familiar with the journey. So <laughs> I understand what that's like, yes. <laughs> so as you're going through this process, you already have a bunch of relationships and a mm-hmm. customer base, right? So so as you're going through this process, I know that as you're going through you're able to leverage some of your relationships, some of your customers, but this, this is pretty, uh, it's, it's a very large departure in many ways and a very small departure in many other ways. Um, have yeah. you been able to really leverage the, uh, relationships you had? I know you, you work with a mm-hmm. lot of major retailers, but also, you know, it's a totally different retail segment, right? So are, totally, have, yeah. have all of those, has it been like this crazy learning curve? Has it, I mean, have you been able to leverage a lot or are you' like, nope, totally all new.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's been a huge learning curve. um we wouldn't have been able to do it without the relationships we'd made, and that's why we always knew we wanted to start with making a um a juice out of our fruit out of our fruit to begin with in order to make the relationships but also make the mistakes with a less kind of volatile product um and we've You know, after four years, we've managed to create really beautiful natural fruit juices, which are single estate. So, again, the kind of heartbeat through the fruit juices manifests in the spirit. But the relationships we made from making the juices from the manufacturing side, from the, you know, even the design side, the labelling, labelling manufacturers, kind of every single facet of it has really helped in producing nectar because you know we've we've asked for help we've asked for expertise we've asked for advice with all of the people that we have we've used through our services and making in making the juice and in terms of kind of retail we obviously it sits in a hugely different feel to the juices it's incredibly it's got a, a very high price point and it's um a a very different look and feel to the juices in, in the sense that a it's alcoholic but also it's a, a pure luxury item so in in terms of the roots to market and the retail we haven't been in any rush to really get it on the shelves and really get it out there we want to make sure that it's positioned in the right in the right context and with the right people and with the right retailers kind of not just appearing on every supermarket shelf but that where it is appearing is really doing it justice And also there's a real understanding of what it is and what the pure product is. And we always say it's for the discerning drinker, kind of somebody that wants something a lot different Um, and someone that wants something very different. And, you know, they've tried all the vodkas, they've tried all the gins, um, they've even tried all the whiskies, and just really want kind of the next thing, really, that is really special and and really pure. And, And I think that comes out in the taste as well
0: the price point is is a uh, is higher than you know your even your uh select retailer right mm. i mean um the like super you know sippable gins are around i'll put it in pounds 50 pounds <laughs> yeah. and uh you know you guys are above that but i mean it's super small batch right it's mm. super small batch like super um Uh, concentrate in terms of there's no other additives or anything like that and are you finding it harder to pitch that to retailers are you finding it harder to find distributors because of that
1: i think um initially yes but then once people understand what the product is itself they're quite bought into it because the the price is set purely by costs um of manufacturing it. it is incredibly labour intensive Um, the machines itself to actually make it are very difficult to get hold of the fruit is is you know it's far more expensive than buying in a load of fruit from the continent or just getting in um, a load of pureed fruit from the continent or something like that so kind of every facet of it is is demanding a very high price point then got all of the each individual bottle is incredibly expensive the boxes themselves are very expensive the hand labeling takes a lot of time the hand packing takes a lot of time we wanted every single every single touch point of the brand to to look and feel as kind of luxurious as possible but then obviously that creates a high price point so the price point reflects the work and the passion that goes into the product, into manufacturing the product itself.
0: And I, I know you were telling me before that uh, you were the first machine basically stomping <laughs> on the, the fruit. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, the price point is very high.
1: <laughs> yeah. Time exactly. money. Exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> it,
1: was, um, it was a labor of love. But it was yeah. um incredibly fun and then you know, we learned a lot about ourselves when, when making it.
0: And and would you say like I mean, this is a brand coming off of Bardsley, right? Mm-hmm. So so have you been able to really carry over that like family family farm concept into this and you know, kind of continue that attitude and that thought process and and keeping it family and local, and has that translated really well to this?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the the touch points that we use in, in the main business of Bodley, England, is the kind of the being fifth generation, the expertise that have been handed down from father to son, and now kind of <laughs> husband to wife, but you know it is it is a family enterprise and and with that comes a lot of um historical knowledge on fruit growing and looking after the land and things like that and so there's a, there's a real heritage story there of a, of kind of true british farming um but along with you know the essence of being a single estate we we aren't buying in fruit from anywhere else we take care of all of our orchards our orchards are mapped very closely we you know we really apply so much kind of husbandry to every kind of tree that we're growing so there's a lot of care and attention from years and years and years of of fruit growing expertise that goes into kind of every bottle but everything we do in in both businesses yeah the the feelings of, of of family heritage and single estate provenance really kind of drive through both businesses and I think they mirror each other quite nicely but we didn't want to make a beautiful luxurious spirit that was kind of part of a farming brand it almost deserved the respect to kind of be its standalone entity.
0: Yeah, and and all that passion and all that it and and time and effort into both Bardsley and True British Spirit. I mean, in in a typical day, are you finding it difficult to uh, do all of the uh, <laughs> necessary components of your life between managing and directing Bardsley, managing directoring? uh, True Spirit, you had said to me before true spirit was once it once it gets going, it's kind of going and 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 then how does that tie in to say like your your normal like day to day life and uh I mean as an entrepreneur myself, I understand uh like today I will only see my daughters for maybe an hour or two, <laughs> and so is it i mean between that and bardsley is it all is it all just day to day getting it done yeah, um, I think you know
1: you know we've um myself and my husband so my husband Ben is the managing director of Barsley England since we came he went into the business six years ago and has taken over as MD and I came in about four years ago and ever since we've kind of started on this journey together it's been hugely challenging but oh my god it's been so exciting and we've grown the business to um you know enormous heights in the time that he's been at the helm but it's been a massive adventure and you know you're always on you're always working you're never switching off every car journey every chairlift um every you know bath time done together is is a business meeting but you know it keeps everything so challenging so exciting and the flexibility of of him being md and Us wanting to do kind of added value products to really harness eliminating fruit waste, but also really kind of make something different as well is great because we have the flexibility to say, Right, I think we've got a really good idea here, and I think this could, you know, really has legs and really could go somewhere. That we have the flexibility to do it because we've got the fruit supply, and also we've got the drive and passion as well to just say yeah let's give it a go let's um let's do it and let's do it while we're young as well
0: and and you keep and we you know we keep touching on like the food waste and um the 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 realization of a high uh, you know a nice uh quality brand with really good uh you know value to it the how are you measuring success right now for true British spirit, is it is it customer satisfaction? Is it simply reduction in waste? Um, is there is there some sort of uh, success that you know little increments on the journey that you're that you're trying to hit?
1: Um, I think we we're, we're not putting too much pressure on the product and also ourselves um, at the moment. It's we've never wanted to um, say, right, we're going to create massive volume of this product and really just get it out there and ship it out. Kind of, We want to take it really slowly and make sure that we're doing it right. So success kind of looks like people trying the product and saying, God, you know, that is really nice. And that isn't what I was expecting. And so far, we've, everybody that's tried it has kind of absolutely raved about it and said, I really didn't know what this was going to be like, but this is the best thing I've ever tasted. So success for me is like, wow, I've put my blood, sweat and tears into something and it's actually a success that people like it and, and people are recognising what a really pure spirit can actually taste like and how nice that nice that can be. But also just having something that people want to know about as well is 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 success. But we're not looking at kind of yes, we've sold out, you know, how successful was that? Because we'd rather actually it was understood and it was placed in a good marketplace um, kind of where it deserves to be. And for us at the moment, that's what success
0: looks like. If that's success, what what do you think right now is your biggest like risk with the true spirit in terms of w- whether it be equipment failure, whether it be nobody <laughs> in the market being interested, whether it be a global pandemic really hurting your <laughs> the <laughs> opportunity to have face-to-face meetings?
1: um i think for us obviously risk would be um part of putting the global pandemic aside weather is always a massive risk for us um in the hot throughout the whole business you know if we have a you know freak weather when there's crop on the trees we're at very high risk then if we if we didn't get a crop of you know in terms of isolating true british spirit if we didn't get a crop of Plums and apricots to do the next vintage, we would we would be in trouble, um because we wouldn't ever buy in fruit from from anywhere else. So we we want to be able to be growing that fruit ourselves. So yeah, I'd say weather is always our biggest risk throughout the entire business. Obviously, we're the the main business of Worthy, England, are facing risks in terms of coronavirus and getting um fruit off the trees for a um harvest and having the um, the labour force coming in to to pick the harvest, but we are making a lot of headway in facing those challenges, and and we do think that we will find um, an army to pick for Britain. So um, so we should be okay. But yeah, I'd say weather weather is definitely our paramount risk.
0: What would you say was the biggest learning curve that, and it doesn't have to be related to the risk, but what did if you had to start again? What would you wish somebody had told you, or the advice they had given to you when you were getting into this, in terms of, oh, make sure you have like a particular still or something? I don't know. You know, like what do you wish you had known prior to actually getting involved in the spirit industry? <laughs>
1: um, gosh, um, I think um, it's not necessarily what we'd known, but there's definitely things we would um, have tweaked. I think the machinery has been our biggest barrier the machine we had to process the fruit was a challenge we used two different machines and just their their functionality and getting hold of them has been really tricky so maybe it would be find your equipment early enough but also we we had challenges on finding the equipment but also with the fruit not um ripening too quickly because we had because we were struggling to find the equipment. We had the the fruit, it was off the trees, it was in the store ready to be done. And we were like, Oh, we need to get this we need to get this, this machine in now, but it was so difficult to get hold of. So I would say give yourself a lot of time and a lot of preparation before you get started. But it made it challenging and it made it lots of fun. So
0: in terms of in terms of obstacles, um did you do you have you were dealing with fresh produce? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so for me, I, I don't have a lot of reference to the UK regulatory system, but in the States, um, it would be a lot of issues with the USDA, the US Department of Agriculture, and there are tons of regulatory components within that. And then on top of that, you would have in our case, it would be called the ATF, the Alcohol Tobacco. Firearms. Don't ask me why they combine them all, but but there's a lot in terms of interstate commerce and uh, regulations on distribution. Are you finding any of those to be major challenges?
1: I think at the moment, which is obviously we've got licenses and everything like that, and that was again obstacles that we just hadn't when we first started out. We didn't know everything we needed to know on kind of duty, tax, personal licensing, premises licenses, everything like that. But it's all. You know, we called on the people that we would made relationships with in the industry that we would met along the way. And they all helped us and guided us and said, you need to do we need you need to do this. You need to get that. And I'm um, really kind of helped us get where we needed to be. But equally, in terms of like distribution and regulations on distribution, we're not um, I would say we're not big enough to to be worrying about that too much at the moment. Mm. You know we're taking every every day that comes, and and if we need to kind of step up and you know jump through jump through hoops, then then we do and we will, and it's we learn something every day, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I definitely learn something every day about <laughs> about entrepreneurship. So um, I I guess for me, what would you say has been like the highlight of the entire journey, and what would you say would be the moment where uh, somebody looked at you and was like, oh, that's a little crazy, but you were realized maybe at that moment you were like, I've got a great idea, right? What What are the highlights of the journey? And then like, what is the moment where you're like, this is a great idea. We need to keep going.
1: <laughs> I think like it um, gets reinforced every time we have, every time someone tries the product. And I'm sure there was a lot of um, skeptics out there when we were saying, Hey, we're going to make this really high end alcohol product. And everyone kind of you know using um using second class fruit, and I think everyone probably thought we were slightly bonkers and thought, "Why do not, you stick to your day job and then when we kind of had the the finished product, then people said, "God, you know what that's really good, and that wasn't what I was expecting. that really you know makes it all worth it, and that yeah I think that that that's basically the journey we've been on.
0: yeah, no, it puts a big smile on your face, right
1: <laughs> absolutely yeah, and that, yeah, yeah that's that's the joy of it all
0: well georgia that was it and i want to say thank you very much for going ahead and talking to me today and uh, i wish you guys all the best at true oh, thank spirit you. <laughs> i really really appreciate it have uh, have a good one
1: thank you very much for, <laughs> thanks for having me on
0: music provided by kevin pace thank you for listening